Hello and welcome to our latest episode of our Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley. I am your host. I am joined by Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And today we have uh, three players yet again. We have um, one eligible player, one recently inducted player, and one old-timer. So our uh, eligible player we're going to talk about today is Keith Kachuk, and then followed by um, Eric Lindros, who was inducted two years ago. And finally, our old-timer is Harry Cameron. So we're going to start off with Keith Kachuk's stats, and then we'll discuss him. All right. So Keith Kachuk's career, or if you want to pronounce it the Don Cherry way, Keith Tachuk. Yes. Um, as he was very fond of doing. But you know what? I actually I was talking to my parents before, and like they remember an old guy called Walt Tachuk, and I think that's where Don reached his yeah. Rangers in the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's where he got it from. Cause my, when I was, I was just, they asked me who was going to be on the podcast and I said, Oh, we're doing uh, Keith Kachuk. You mean Taychuk? I'm like, Oh yeah, that's true. You guys do that too. So, <laughs> so I think it's an old, I think it's an older person thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Keith Kachuk, he was in the NHL from 1991 to 2010, 18 seasons, 16 of which were quality. He has 538 goals Second American all-time, not including that trader, Brett Hull. <laughs> Thank you, Riley. Glad you <laughs> I'm glad you said it in the notes and not me. <laughs> uh, 527 assists for 1,065 points. He's the fourth American, excluding Hull. <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, no, he's, he's born in Canada. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can't you can't search by, like, people who changed their citizenship halfway through their lives. Exactly, that's yeah. right. Anyway. I think technically he had dual citizenship. Um, yeah. Like, like yourself, I believe, actually. <laughs> I, I do not, actually. That's a oh, long really? story. Yeah, ma'am. Oh, I thought you did. No. Nope. My mistake. Um, but yeah, so he once he didn't make Team Canada, he was good enough to make Team USA. And once yeah. you declare for one team, that's just it. But Yeah. Don't worry, I'm going to crap on him later about the skate increase. Um, All right. <laughs> uh, he was a plus 33 in 1,201 games. Um, he had an 18 uh, minute and 23 second average time on ice since 1998-1999 uh, when they began tracking it, and 125.1 uh, point share. Kachuk is second all time among American NHLers in goals per game and fourth in points per game. If we omit Hull and set a minimum qualifier of 1,000 games played, 42 players. Um, in his draft class, 1990, Kachuk, drafted 19th overall, is second in goals and points. He is fourth in assists. 15th in plus minus, 5th in games played. Um, of the era, uh, players of his era, of the 14 players to play in at least 1,200 games between 91 and 2010, uh, Kachuk is 3rd in goals, 2nd in goals per game, 10th in assists and assists per game, 6th uh, in points, 5th in points per game, 8th in plus minus, 4th in offensive point shares, 7th in point shares. His 82-game average was 37 goals and 36 assists for 73 points and a plus two. His three-year peak from 94 to 97 uh, had an 82-game average of 48 goals, 45 assists for 93 points and a plus two. Uh, his possession numbers since 2007, um, and of course this is the very tail end of his career, 50.2 Corsi and is that a 50.7 relative Corsi? Oh, sorry, 0. 0.7. 0. 0.7, sorry, I didn't yeah. see, there's no zero there. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 
0.7 relative core C4 and 50.5% uh, uh, Fenwick and 0.4% relative Fenwick. Um, his uh, playoff numbers, 28 goals and 28 assists for 56 points and a minus 15 in 89 games. Uh, his adjusted would be 584 goals, 25th all time, and 566 assists for 1,150 points. His adjusted 82 game average, 40 goals, 39 assists for 79 points. His adjusted points per game, if the qualifier is set to 1,000 games played, Kachuk is not in the top 25 in adjusted points per game. He was traded once in his prime and twice thereafter. So his accomplishments, uh, had the Rocket Richard existed in 1997, he would have won it, but I believe it existed, it was launched either in 98 or 99. Yeah. Um, he was a top five offensive player once in, in 2002 and a top 10 four times. So 2002, two, uh, 1996, 1997, and 1998. He scored 50 goals twice, 40 goals four times, 35 goals seven times, 30 goals nine times, 25 goals 13 times, and 20 goals 15 times. He tallied 40 assists three times. He scored 90 points once, 80 points three times, 70 points six times, 60 points eight times, and 50 points 13 times. He led the league in goals once, top five, 10 times. He was top five in goals per game, five times, top 10, seven times. And he was top 10 in points per game once. He was a second team all-star twice, and he had five all-star game appearances. Okay, Keith Kachuk. Um, so he was... Um... A top three forward on one final four. These are his great teams uh, on the 01 Blues. Uh, he was a top nine forward by points on one Olympic runner-up, the 02 USA team uh, from Salt Lake City. He was a top six forward by points on one World Cup champion, 1996 for Team USA. And he was the best forward by points on one World Junior Championship bronze, 92 USA. That is just a complete guess. I couldn't find the like team stats. But based on, like, he was basically one point shy of being on the top 10 score leaderboard okay. for the tournament. And, like, given that there were no Americans on the leaderboard, I figured he had to be, yeah, you know, the, the leader in points for the team. Which was, by the way, not, it was not a high scoring tournament that year. But anyway. No, and, well, and the thing is, too, back in those days, Team USA was not the juggernaut it now is at the junior level. Yeah. Uh, they, they sort of really lagged behind. In fact, I sort of remember, uh, I guess, before they won that 96 uh, World Cup with, you know, a couple of goals off skates and high sticks and stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not to be bitter about it or anything, but uh, <laughs> one of the games, so it kind of stings. Um, the, uh, the Team USA's in those days um, were pretty weak. Like, I remember them sort of being, like, out of the big six countries, sort of the weaker sister, like, just a little bit above Slovakia and maybe, like, even with Finland if they weren't having a good year. Yeah. Um, they were definitely not one of the uh, powerhouse countries the way they are nowadays. Um, yeah. So that's worth noting as well. Um, so I I find it interesting, you know, we, we talked about Andrew Chuck recently, and we're looking at a guy who obviously doesn't have anywhere near as many goals as Andrew Chuck because he didn't play as long. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, there's some similarities, um, particularly in terms of in, in terms of the resume. Um, but the funny thing to me is that like yeah, Kachuk doesn't really have the the career numbers. You know, he if you compare him to other Americans, he looks really good. If you compare him just to the you know everyone at large, he doesn't. But then you look at his uh, his actual like offensive, you know, his presence on leaderboards and his offensive peak, and he's like 
from that perspective, he has a better case than Anderchuk, I think. I, w- I would agree with that, actually. Yeah, I was like, I I was kind of surprised when I looked at the numbers. I'm like, I remember him being good, but I don't remember him being that consistently good. Um, I sort of yeah. remember him trailing off, but maybe he sort of didn't until the very end of his career. Um, and and well, the thing is, the funny thing about that, too, is like you, you mentioned his possession numbers are for the tail end of his career. Yeah. He was above average possession player. Yeah, I mean, was, barely, but yeah. above average, even at the tail end of his career, which is I was not expecting. I don't remember him being, you know, that kind of player. Yeah, but I mean, the thing was, he was really, he was a consistent, like, he always stood in front of the net. He always hit the crap out of people. He was tough in the corners. He could fight. Like, he was he was a good, tough, like, prototypical power forward. And, you know, sort of just, you know, I mean, his playoff numbers are not very not good, good compared to what I was expecting. Um, yeah. But I guess he was never really on great playoff teams. You know, he was on a few. Uh, he was on a few Phoenix teams when they had those old awful jerseys. Sure yeah, he was on both Winnipeg and Phoenix. And yeah. if you look at his like his glaring minus, mm-hmm. you know, a third of it comes from one playoff series. Yeah, yeah you know, like right? so. so like okay, you look at the minus fifteen and you go, Ugh, and then you're like, oh wait a minute, in '93 he's a minus five in six games. Okay, yeah, so, so presumably Winnipeg got killed. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean. I'm literally when they played that game uh, last night, that was the first second round game played in Winnipeg in 31 years. <laughs> like I know yeah. they didn't have a team for a long while, but they were, they don't, they would always get knocked out in the first round back in the old. Uh, yeah. Animal. So it is, is kind of hard, you know, th- this is, and I mean, I think we'll, we, we may, we'll see this later when we get to players with more glaring career minuses or career pluses. But I think with the plus minus, unless it's really, really high or really, really low, it's hard to like take, you know, too much from it because basically disregard it sometimes. Yeah. I mean like minus 15 in the playoffs, it looks awful. And then you look at the teams he was on and he was on, you know, a a pretty decent St. Louis team once when he was a zero. (laughs) And that he was on, you know, that team the next year wasn't quite, didn't go as far and he was a plus one. Yeah. And the rest of the time he was on first round exits pretty much his entire career. And, you know, that, that is not on him. This is a guy who was playing anywhere between, uh, you know, 16 minutes and one time, one ridiculous series, 25 minutes a game, which is bonkers. But I don't know what's going on there. Phoenix versus, uh, Phoenix versus the Blues, hilariously enough, in 1999. Anyway, um, but like you know, this is not this is hockey. It's not like there's there's a whole bunch of guys on the roster, and it's not on him completely that he was on these you know crappy playoff teams. I think the the bigger indictment would be that you know he's he's uh, scored 56 points in in basically 90 games which if i think about it i believe is a little bit below his what he was doing uh in the regular season yeah i mean and I this is with the puck in the net i mean you know it's, yeah it's very clear yeah. i mean he played a chunk of his career at a time when scoring was really low yeah. and during that period he he led he led not only did he lead the league in goals but he led the league in um and even strength goals that year. Yeah. And as we as we are learning, as as people start to actually take apart 
hockey and look at all the aspects of it, like that's, you know, in, in contrast to Anderchuk, even strength goals are, are really the thing that, that matters because for one thing they're uh, I don't know if you, you're aware of this, but they've discovered that they're more predictable year upon year. Like guys get, I mean, Anderchuk being the exception to that, cause he was, he, you know, always on the power play, but guys get their power play time varies from season to season. And the other thing is schemes on power plays vary. So you may not, you may have a year where you score a ton of power play goals. Like you, you score 20 and then you never get that opportunity again because you know, your circumstances change. But if you're, if you're a top line player or you're a top six forward, you're in similar opportunity to score even strength. And I mean, I think, I mean, correct me if you, you think I'm wrong here, but I feel like the the ability to score at even strength is on the whole a better skill than the ability to score on a power play because you know you can't rely on uh on penalties that's it exactly yeah if you play so, a very disciplined team you may never get that chance you know so yeah so that year like he had 41 even strength goals in the year he had 52 goals wow. which is bonkers yeah that's really really impressive yeah, and I don't know what that would compare with other who led the league in uh, even strength goals other years. I've never really looked that up before. But anyway, I mean, he was a very he was a borderline elite, if not elite, goal scorer for a little period there. Yeah, I'm, and like you know, the thing is too, you look at like his where he ranks in terms of like players that played in his era, and you know, you look at the guys. I mean. You know, when I first sort of like I looked up his, you know, his draft position, drafted 19th, and I'm like, oh yeah, it was a really good year though. There was a lot of guys, but then he 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 still places very very well. And I mean, it's there's multiple Hall of Famers in that draft class. Yes, uh, there are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I mean that's that's the Owen Nolan, Peter Nedved, Keith Primo draft year at the top there. Jagger fifth, um, Sidor and Darian Hatcher. Uh, you know. Trevor Kidd, Brad May, who was very briefly quite excellent for <laughs> Buffalo uh, at the very beginning of his career. Um, you know, and then you got Kachuk and Berdur. Um, there's a lot of great players in that class. Doug Waite, Jeff Sanders. Doug Waite, yep. Darian Hatcher. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if he ranks well with that Did class, you say Bondra? Bondra's there, yeah. Zubov. Yeah, um, yeah Zubov, yeah, yeah. Roman Turek, remember him? <laughs> yeah, I remember Roman Turek. Uh, Robert Lang, before he got hurt, was great. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of really good players that came out of it's that draft. It's a great there. draft year. It is yeah. a really good draft year. Yeah, and, and his numbers hold up, except for, I would say, Jagger. Um, I would say his numbers hold up against just about anybody's in that draft class. Yeah, I mean, the only thing really is that, like, you know, he his, his total points suffer because he wasn't really a passer, right? Exactly. So, like, yes, he's, he's second in points in the draft, but he's almost half of Yager's points. Oh yeah, and, I know. Well, Yager's just ridiculous. And uh, you know, when you look at if you look at assists, he's uh what was he fourth? Yeah. After Wait and Zubov because he just didn't um you know, I mean, he's he's one of those guys who I think for the most part got assists because he was on the ice and around the net rather than cuz he was setting guys up. Absolutely. Um you know, he's one of those, uh, he's one of, the, there's a, I don't know, there's, I think there's like 30 or 40 of them. Guys who've scored 100, you know, 300 and something goals, but have like less assists than goals. Wow. He's one of those guys, just like Brett Hall, funnily enough. <laughs> like Brett Hall. Um, you know, the, the, well, you know, the thing is too, I think, uh, 
you know, when he was that sort of dynamic duo there with Doug Waite, yeah. Doug Waite got so many assists just feeding Kachuk right in front. And so, I mean, yeah. it's not like Kachuk ever, um, like never played with, with very, very good or even great players. Um, but his career numbers, even though he moved around and away from Doug Waite, were still really good. So, yeah. And I, I think he's one of the, you know, I think you can make an argument sometimes with some of these like goal scorers first that they, they had the benefit of great, you know, set up people. Yeah. Um, and this is a guy who, you know, was consistently, you know, for a period between, you know, 90, 93 um, to 97, 90, no, sorry, 98, you know, he was scoring 40 goals a season. And the one season he didn't score 40 goals and was the, the, uh, the lockout year. And, and then he went and and kept, you know, putting up 35 goal seasons most of the time for another however many years. And this was in the, you know, the, the low scoring period in league history, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you remember that second lockout when, when he came back and people were all in an uproar because he came back about like 40 pounds overweight. <laughs> oh no, I don't remember the overweight stuff. Yeah. But... It was kind of funny, but then he worked, he worked himself right back into shape and continued to play. So, I mean, pretty impressive. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had a, he didn't have a great year that first year he came back and then he had a bounce back year the next year. Yeah. Once and he then got he himself was, into shape basically. Yeah. Scored 25 goals, three of the last four seasons of his career. <laughs> really not bad. Three of the last five, which is bonkers. Yeah. Given that he was in his you know mid thirties at that point. And the game but if you got look, so much faster. If you look at the, you know, year, uh, you know, he, he, he did have help. Like he was the year, his, his year with 52 goals, he was playing with Ronick. Yeah. He's playing with Gardner and, you know, Tverdowski was all right, I think. And, yes, and he was, yeah. Craig Janney was there though. I don't think they were, I assume they were not on the same line, but I have no idea. Um, but you know he he did he did have help. He played with elite passers at times with yeah. Wade and stuff. But I think that like honestly, if we're gonna value you know peak, you know I know it's a debate constantly between longevity and and peak. But like if you want to value peak over longevity, if you're one of those people, yeah, I think he has. I'm not saying he necessarily belongs. I haven't decided yet. Yeah. I think he has a pretty good case in part because, you know, there's, there's that, like he's a top five in, in counting stats in terms of goals, five seasons. Um, most of them in a row, I think if I remember correctly, hold on, I'll just grab that. Give me one moment. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, 96, 97, 98, 2000, 2004. Um, I'm sorry, 2002 and 2004. But, like, it's also... Sorry, did I say top five? I meant top ten. Um, but also, like, if you... He was injured partially. Like, he didn't play full season some of those years. And so, the other thing is that he's, you know... Um, he's in the top five in goals per game much more frequently. And, I don't know. I feel like... He... if you If you forget about the fact that his assists are not really there and you focus on goals. I think, I think there's a case here. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. He's uh, I would say he's definitely on the bubble and I'm even, I think a little bit leaning towards thinking that he does belong in the hall of fame. Um, yeah. Cause like if Andrew Chuck is in, yeah. 
and Andrew Chuck had a, a worse peak, generally speaking, than Kachuk did. You gotta wonder like, why isn't he he was um he never really had except for that i guess that one year that he came back from the lockout when he was really overweight uh or just out of shape i mean he other than that he was a very consistent goal scorer yeah. um, in a league where that's not easy to do so much so that you know he ranks quite highly in terms of players who played over the same era so um you got to say, really, I mean, and f coming from that kind of a draft class and being one of the higher ranked players is really impressive. Yeah. And, and even that crappy year, he, he came back, he was still scoring at 0.88 per game, which is, you know, yeah, still, it's pretty good for when you're 33. Yeah. Totally. So I mean, he only really had two crappy years and that was his, his very first year in the league and his, uh, his last so <laughs> you know like that's yeah and his first year in the league he played 17 games so, oh, so yeah that basically doesn't count <laughs> yeah um i mean yeah I, I think i think he's he's got a bit of a case uh and i definitely this is not a player who i liked when i was you know when he was playing oh he was he was by no means my favorite player yeah um, but he was a real tough guy to play against and every time we played the blues i'd be like oh god we're gonna have to deal with kachuk he's probably gonna score a goal like while sitting on top of our goalie. <laughs> uh, but he was just one of those guys who just went to the right areas and did it so consistently that it's pretty hard not to um, talk about what a great player he was. I was just like, I didn't mention, I didn't look at his penalty minute stats, but because I think they're really, that's really dumb. Yeah. Um, but uh, he is 41st all time in penalty minutes as well. Yeah, so like, the, like I guess you would say the true definition of the power forward, right? Where he could do everything and would sort of. I mean, in those days when he played, they actually had like legitimate fighters on the team, at least yeah. one, probably two, on the yeah. fourth line to take care of most of the business. And he still had that many penalty minutes. So yeah, he's a pretty tough customer. Yeah. He played the game very. Um, I wouldn't say he played dirty, but like he was definitely always mixing it up and getting pe roughing penalties and hooking penalties and slashing penalties. And, yeah. You know. That kind of stuff. So he was, you know, he was a hard guy to play against. That's what I remember the most about him was like he just, he was, he was either gonna hit hit one of your guys so hard that he got hurt, or he was gonna score a big goal down in the paint where you're like, ah, like we can't stop him. He's too big. So yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty impressive. Oh yeah, yeah, he he's taller than I remember him being six two. Yeah, but he was stocky even at six two. Like he sort of yeah cold, yeah. So. And he's also the cousin of Tom Fitzgerald, which is really important. I oh, didn't realize yeah, that. Obviously. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall we move on to Eric Lindros since we're both kind of like, oh, well, pro maybe he does. He's bubble, but. Yeah, well, you know what? I think I think there's people that are already in that I would argue that he should be in over. So I think, yeah. you know, given the Andrew Chuck thing, given a few other players, I'd say I, I, he would probably get my vote. Maybe not first ballot, but if there was a year where we didn't have anybody else, I'd be like, yeah, I'll put him in. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm probably okay with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, so on to uh, Eric Lindros, who was inducted two years ago. Um, his career. He was in the NHL from 1992 to 2000, and then again from 2001 to 2007. He lost a season plus other games, but a full season due to a concussion. Back when we didn't um, know what those were, really. Uh, he played 13 seasons total in that span uh, 11 were quality uh he scored 372 goals 
493 assists for 865 points. He's plus 215 in 760 games. Uh, he was uh, 19 minutes and 47 seconds uh, average time on ice since 1998. So much of that is after his uh, most devastating injury. Uh, he had 101.6 point shares. Lindros is 17th all-time in points per game. In his draft class, 1991, Lindros, who was drafted first overall, is 25th in games played, but he's 4th in goals, 5th in assists and points, and 2nd in plus-minus. Okay, so I'm breaking the errors down into two of the hundreds of players to play in at least 450 games between 1992 and 2000. Lindros is 8th in goals, 2nd in goals per game, uh, and points per game, 17th in assists, 6th in assists per game and points, and 3rd in offensive point shares, 4th in point shares, and 183rd in games played. 2nd um, in goals per game behind, I believe, Yager. Um, and in the in the, uh, in the the OPS, I believe, Yager and maybe Lemieux or somebody, or maybe Sackick or somebody like that. Um, then for the second part of his career, among the hundreds of players to play in at least 250 games between 2001 and 2007, Lindros is not in the top 25 for any category, so you can see how concussions impacted his career. Um, his 82-game average is 40 goals, 53 assists for 93 points, plus 23. His three-year peak, 1994 to 97, an 82-game average of 52 goals, 74 assists for 126 points, plus 40. He did not, of course, play 82 games in most, if not all, of those seasons. I don't quite remember if he played. Um, here, I'll look it up later when we're talking how many games he played in those seasons. Yeah, um, in the playoffs, he scored 24 goals and 33 assists for 57 points in 53 games. And he had a 19-14 uh, average time on ice. Again, that is for mostly um, in the injured parts of his career. His adjusted numbers are 404 goals, 438 assists for 242 points. His adjusted 82-game average is 44 goals, 58 assists for 102 points. If the qualifier is set to 750 games, Lindros is sixth all-time in adjusted points per game. He was traded once in his prime and infamously demanded a trade before he ever played an NHL game. Yeah, um, those are some really impressive stats. Um, yeah. For his three-year peak, the uh, 94 to 97 that you mentioned, um, they definitely would have had to have been um, rated to 82 games because one of those is the lockout year, and I think that's the year he tied with Jaeger for the uh, scoring championship. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so that and yeah, he the there. most games he ever played in an entire season was 81, and that was in 2002, 2003. Okay, so yeah, it's yeah. you know as we've established, sort of like with the Pavel Burry thing, when he was healthy and playing, he was basically unstoppable. Yeah. But, his injuries did stop him. Um, yeah. Okay, his accomplishments. Uh, this is going to be a very long list because he was uh, when he was playing, he was damn good. Um, he won the Hart Trophy in '95, the Ted Lindsay in '95. He was top five in Hart voting one other time in '96. He was top five in Calder voting in '93. He was a top five player by point shares once in '95 and top ten thrice. So '95, '96, and '99. He was the best offensive player by op offensive point shares once in 95, top five thrice, adding 96 and 98, and top five ten time, uh, top ten five times, sorry, <laughs> um, adding also 94 and 02. Uh, he scored 45 goals once, 40 goals four times, 35 goals five times, 30 goals seven times, 25 goals nine times. 
He tallied 60 assists once, 50 assists thrice, and 40 assists six times. He scored 110 points once, 90 points thrice, 70 points eight times, 50 points 10 times. He was top 10 in goals four times. He was top five in goals per game twice. Um, he was top 10 eight times. He was top five in assists, top 10 thrice. Um, he was, uh, so I guess that's top five in assists once. And yeah, twice. sorry. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he was top five in assists per game twice. He was top 10 six times. He led the league in points once. He was top 10 thrice. He led the league in points per game once. He was top five six times. He was top 10 eight times. He was top five in plus minus once. He was top 10 thrice. He was a first team all-star once. He was a first team all-rookie. He was second team all-star once. He had six all-star game appearances. And his non-NHL, he was the best forward on one world championship team that failed to medal. He led the tournament in points. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because, um, you know, he, did, he that that wasn't a great team, but he like, you know, he did lead a he did a lead a world championship in points despite his teammates. So his great teams, uh, he was the best player because uh, he led his he led the entire NHL playoffs in points on one runner up that was the nineteen ninety seven Flyers, and he was the best player with most points on his team on one final four the ninety five Flyers. Uh, Flyers. He was a top three forward by points on one Olympic runner-up, the uh, 1992 uh, Canadian team. And then he was a role player on the um, gold medal uh, team in 2002. He was a top six forward by points on one Canada Cup champion in 1991 and one World Cup runner-up in 1996. And he was the best player by points on one World Cup champion, 1991 Canada, and a top six forward by points on one world gen, uh, junior champion in 1990 when he was quite young. Yes, very, very uh, young. He was, um, when was he worth born? noting that, that Olympic. He was 17, uh, yeah, when he was 17. Runner-up in 92 was uh, the year that the unified team beat Canada, and, you know, they had a lot of pros still playing for them in those days. And, you know, Canada sent Lindros as, like, a junior, and he was a top three forward, on, yep. you know, an Olympic team that had to play against, like, the Russians and the Swedes. And, like, you know, so until 2016 yeah this was like this was the the case where i was like this is why the hockey hall of fame is full of idiots <laughs> because i would look at cuz i i i would look up his like resume and be like i get that people don't like him yeah you know right. i get that his dad in particular like i think he his dad was a pretty bad influence on him mm-hmm. my understanding is his dad is was the one who was telling him to you know, make demands. I don't know uh, where I got that from. I should probably mention I, that I read yeah, that somewhere. I, I think if you if you hear it from Bobby Clark, his family was over involved and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I mean, but you know, it's, but wasn't his dad his agent? Possibly, I'm not. I, thought, uh, sure, I, I, I was I was still pretty young when he came into the league, so I didn't yeah. pay attention to that stuff very much. Anyway, yeah. I get that people don't like him. And and that we there was a it was a it was a different time and we didn't understand the full impact of concussions. Had Lindros been born, you know, fifteen years later, there would have been no debate. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like they wouldn't have thought he was being a, a wuss for sitting out games because he had a concussion. But like, you look at this. This is a guy who, when he was healthy, was one of the best couple forwards in the entire league for half a decade or more. Oh yeah, and he was like dominant on the ice. I mean, look at his. Um... Look at his plus minus. What was it? Two fifteen. Two fifteen. Yeah. So yeah. two fifteen, and he only played what eight hundred games. 
He didn't even play 800 games. He played yeah, 760. You're you're talking like I mean that's pretty impressive. That's I mean I plus minus is but I mean and he was on a great line that scored a lot of points. He had help with John LeClaire and Michael Renberg. They were uh, probably the top line in the NHL for a few years. But I mean that's still a that's a heck of a stat to have to have played that few games and be that high on the plus minus is really amazing. Yeah, like they just didn't get scored against. Yeah, you know until he was until the very end of his career when he was like m- minus four in his last two years when he was also you know. He couldn't even finish, you know. I mean, he got into forty-nine games the last season, thirty-three his second last. Um, it's. I've always been in the attitude of like you can't blame athletes for their injuries. You know, no, this is not a morality play. Yeah, you know they don't. People aren't injured because they deserve it. They're injured because injuries happen. It's a sport. Yeah, and the idea that he was not, you know. When he wasn't in, it just made it made me insane. Because yeah, like, know. this is, and and the other thing that used to make me crazy is like there were other guys who had you know had their careers cut short with injuries who were in, mm-hmm. who I guess had like played the political game well enough. Yeah, that's. Well, I mean, he he had that sort of baggage, and being that he was Canadian, and being that he had not signed with the Nordiques, yeah. and given his like sort of perceived ter- kind of like a Barry Bonds thing. But with yeah. the steroid allegations, just like yeah. a bad attitude. So a lot of writers just didn't like him enough to put him in. Yeah. Um, so they made him wait. I mean, they did put him in, thank goodness, because he does belong in the hall. But I think they just made him wait because they didn't like his attitude. And they were just sort of like, well, I don't know. He didn't play that much because of all those concussions. Like, well, maybe if he didn't let people just like destroy his head all the time. Um, I mean, he did. he did have a penchant for putting his head down because he was so big. Uh, in junior that nobody could knock him down so he kind of had that bad habit and in those days it was literally don't look down at the puck you're better to just turn it over and not get destroyed yeah because that's the way the game was played back then but i mean like you can't really fault the guy because he got concussed and therefore couldn't play be the same thing as saying like you know a guy like pavel Bure, like oh he has the third highest goals per game maybe if etchkin's put him in fourth now or maybe solani or something but like goals per game he's really really highly ranked after i think he's at He's the way up there after Lemieux and Bossy. So I mean, yeah. like exceedingly good company. And you're like, you're not going to put him in the hall because he had his knees taken out because nobody else could stop him any other way. Like, yeah, how is that fair? Like, no, it's it's really and and there always seems to be this like weird like character test, right? Like, yeah. if you if your career was cut short by injuries, then the guys who are making the the like, the committee sit around and like I don't know, I'm not saying they actually sit there and and talk about this openly. But they're all thinking in their minds, like, well, you know, he only played X number of games. He doesn't really have the career totals. And then it's like basically gets to like, do I think he was like a team player and, you know, like a, or like, do I think he was Russian, you know, <laughs> or like, yeah. or, you know, or, or in the case of Lindra. Is it going to make fans and other people in the league happy if he gets in right away? So you look at a guy like Cam Neely, same sort of thing, right? great career numbers for how few games he played, you know, 50 goal score when it was very hard to score. Well, I guess I mean, maybe just before it was really hard to score 50 goals. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty but, easy um, when he did it. Yeah. But I mean, he also, I think he did 50 and 50 as well. So it's pretty yeah, he did. Yeah. So, I mean, like a guy like that, you know, universally sort of respected and loved as a hockey player got in right away. Yeah. Um, you know, and then a Lindros where he had an attitude and nobody liked him. I would, I would argue he, he was at, equally as good of a player as cam neely 
but they made him wait a whole bunch of years. I mean, I I think he was a better player than Cam Neely. And I don't know. You know, I, I honestly I I don't know. I Cam Neely sort of they never really their careers didn't really overlap. Like Cam Neely had already been hurt at that point and was sort yeah. of on his way to retirement because of the knee thing. So I never really sort of saw them playing in the same era, but they were both so hard to play against. <laughs> just yeah, like, yeah. just tanks of guys. Um given that no, I get it. the center, I would probably give him the edge. But like you know, basically the Bruins in those days were basically like, you know, Neely and Ray Bork. That was the whole team. Like just both yeah, those guys. Yeah. Good. If you look at their, their relative dominance to compared to the league, Lindros was dominant for more for a slightly longer period. Oh yeah. I, I would um, agree with that for sure. Yeah. So I would, to me, that makes him a better player. I'm not like, I, I, I'm fine with him Neely being in the hall of fame. But I think I totally agree with you. He's in there. He was in there quickly because people, like you said, they respected him. They liked him. And Lindros waited six years yeah. because was it six or seven or something like that? It was a while. Yeah. Because, you know, people are like, well, they, they, you know, they thought he was selfish. They thought he wasn't a team player. And of course they also, for a lot of them, they thought he, uh, he had exaggerated his injuries. Yeah, which is the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> which I got to say, just I think I've probably talked about this already on the podcast once, but I, I don't 100% remember. But, uh, you know, I, I a couple of years ago now, I had my – I'm not an athlete in any way, but I, I had a concussion, and I got to experience firsthand what that is like, having not understood. And it was a really minor one. It was nothing like – you know, Lindros is at eight or something. Oh, yeah, and they were bad. Nothing like what Lindros has gone through. And – it was a minor one and it wrecked my life for two weeks Yeah, oh, yeah. and two, two and a half, I think. Yeah. And it really, it, it, it taught me something, which is that like head injuries are, are not fully understood yet, even today, mm-hmm. but also you can't really mess around with them. And the idea that like he should have come on the ice more, yeah. <laughs> you know, someone who is, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen him interviewed recently, but like the, the, the legacy of athletes who have had multiple concussions and what happens to them later in life, yeah, it's nasty. Yeah. It's really not good. And, um, the idea that like a player should put their team ahead of their, like their entire life. Yeah so that they can appear to live up to the, you know, Canadian hockey ideal of toughness. It's really kind of awful. And, and like that he was punished. It just, it, it, it just annoys me that he was punished for that for a while. And I'm glad he's finally in and I finally don't have to get, even though I'm getting ranty, (laughs) ranty about it. Um, Because for years I was just like, this is, this is so ridiculous. You know, this guy was unbelievably good and, like you don't like how he handled an injury that you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're like, well, we should make him wait. Yeah. I, anyway. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if it had as much to do with that as the fact that he had that attitude. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Bobby Clark was on the committee for a while. I don't know if he was when um, Lindros wasn't getting in, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the nay vote every time might have been Bobby Clark for all. Yeah, and the, and the Hockey Hall of Fame like 
uh, as we will talk when we get to Cicerelli, yeah. the Hockey Hall of Fame like induction thing is really, really weird. It is. Um, and and not and the people don't always understand it. Um, so the selection committee in twenty as of twenty seventeen included Bobby Clark. So he he was on it when Lindros was inducted. Well, he so, either got outvoted or he finally decided to let bygones be bygones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not be a jerk for once, but yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know when he got on it, but presu- I would assume that his presence on there had something to do with Lindros not getting in. But I don't know. Maybe yeah, not. we don't. We'll never know for sure. They might have just had. They might have just had guys that they felt were had, you know, longer careers, and because for a while they were putting in four guys, I think every year. Well. That's the thing, and that's why I brought up Cicerelli, right? Because the Cicerelli year is the the bonkers year, where they inducted <laughs> one player oh, because man. they like didn't realize that the process was ending. Oh, that's man. the rumor. Like they didn't know. It. One wonders if they were drinking when the, <laughs> during this or something. Because like, now I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just saying like, yeah. how do you how do you not know how you're 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 one of the 18 people whose job it is every year to pick people to go on the Hall of Fame. How do you not know where you are in the process? Yeah. So they inducted one guy. What year was that? I got to find it. Um, where are you, Dino? In tw- 2010, they inducted one NHL player and one woman. And I believe the first woman ever. And I think maybe they were, maybe they were like, if their argument is we didn't want to distract Sorry, two women. We didn't want to distract from the women, then don't induct any men. Yeah. Certainly don't pick Dino Cicerelli. Um and the the rumor I heard at the time was that they didn't they had uh, they hadn't been aware that the NHL part of it was done. They thought there was another round of voting. Oh. <laughs> and be, you never know. Doesn't all that says to me is like NHL thing to happen. Yeah. All that says to me is like we need to get the baseball um system in into the hockey but anyway that's a different story and we can talk about it more when we get to dino yeah um so we're both very i think we both agree yeah he should be in yeah he's a fantastic player um you know just because somebody may have been perceived as a jerk whether he was or not even if he was you can't keep a guy with the hall of fame who's that good just because you don't like him yeah Uh, you know, like I would, I would actually say the same thing about Barry Bonds if it weren't for the, you know, steroids, um, for the baseball thing. You know, which is sort of like, yeah, maybe he can wait a little while longer. I'm, I'm all right with that. <laughs> um, but that's has a much more to do with the steroids than it does with his perceived bad attitude. Because like a lot of guys, uh, is Ronick in yet? No, Ronick is not in. Well, if he ever gets in, I mean, he was, he really had a mouth on him for many years and a lot, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, Yeah. which, you know, that might keep him out or might keep him waiting a very, very long time before he gets in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but that shouldn't be a qualifier. It should be like, how good was this guy? And in Lindros's case, I mean, from the moment he stepped into the league, he was in my mind anyway, the, you know, the minute he was healthy was he like a top five player for a good like chunk of like six or seven or maybe even eight years where it's like, yep, he's one of the best yep. five players in the league. Like he's borderline unstoppable when he's on his game. Um, yeah. Similar to like a Peter Forsberg or like, it just, you can't stop the guy. If he's, if he wants to score, he's probably going to score. <laughs> in in his second year in the league, he was already one of the top 10 offensive players in the league. Yeah. yeah I mean, he came in so highly touted and he, yeah. I would argue that, 
you know, a lot of people say, oh, he didn't go. And then, you know, the Colorado ended up winning those cups because of that trade. It's yeah, they got a lot more depth out of it. And Forsberg ended up being just as good as Lindros, maybe even better, some would argue. Yeah. But he came in and he was just like ready to go from day one, like a monster NHL. Can we just talk about that trade for a minute? Oh, yeah, sure. So I would say I still think it's probably one of the worst trades in the history of professional sports. But the reason it could have been so much worse if had it had been for like someone like Dig, you oh, know? Yeah. Like, sure. can you imagine making that same trade for someone like that, or or even Owen Nolan? Yeah. You know, and nothing wrong with Owen Nolan's career. He had a fine career. Yeah. But if you if they had made that trade for someone who wasn't as good as Lindros, yeah. oh, it would God. be there would be no question about it yeah. being the worst trade in the history of professional sports oh, yeah, because, I mean, like. Colorado won the cup um, in 96. Forsberg was very good then, but Sackick was really the driver of that team along with Patrick Roy and a lot of their veteran guys. Then when they won it the years um, in 2001, um, then Forsberg was like, he basically got them all the way through to the final and then he somebody speared him in the spleen and he had to have an emergency splenectomy. I- I just want to remind everyone, though, like what the trade was, just just yeah, since so. we're talking about Lindros. So yeah. Lindros was traded for Peter Forsberg, Steve Duchesne, Kerry Huffman, whoever that is, Mike Ricci, Ron Hextall, a draft pick that became Jocelyn Thibault, uh, $15 million. <laughs> a lot of money back in those days, kids. Future crit <laughs> considerations, which became... Um, two different draft picks, Chris Simon, or sorry, future considerations became Chris Simon and a draft pick, which became Nolan Bonegarner. So that is, um, that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players and $15 million. Oh my God. It's probably, now, the cl- probably the closest thing to that would be the Gretzky trade, right? Yeah. Um, Definitely. I mean, I don't know much else. I mean, the thing is, like, as you said, you can have a debate about who's better, Lindros or Forsberg. And there were seven other players plus $15 million in that trade. And (laughs) listen, I'm not trying to, I'm a a big Lindros fan. I think belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think he he had that that great run where they, they, you know, they almost won the cup basically because of him. Um, Well, almost. They went to the final. Uh, But like, I don't know if Bobby Clark was the GM in 1992. Whoever was the GM of the Flyers is just like mad for doing that because it doesn't matter if like that Peter Forsberg ended up being an amazing player. Why are you trading eight players plus $50 million for one player? I know. You kind of have to think Lindros when when McDavid came in as um, when McDavid came in or when Crosby came in, those are the only two times where I could remember being like, a, oh yeah, this guy's getting just as much hype as Lindros did. Like he's ready. Yeah. He's going to be amazing. Um, and so. Fair. But like taking, you know, what amounts to a third of a hockey team. Yeah. <laughs> is slightly more than a third of a hockey team. It's like you're really putting yourself in a position not to succeed in the future, mm-hmm. which, you know, maybe is why Philadelphia didn't win 
uh, I, more. I, I think it all came down to the fact that they've they haven't had a goalie since Ron Hextall. Yeah, yeah. Well, that may have something to do with it. I, anyway, I just think it's like it's a hilarious thing. There's so many players involved in this that I actually had to put my finger on the screen and count wow. because, like, you know, I couldn't just look at them all and be like, okay, that's eight. Like, it's just like it's overwhelming the amount of information in the trade. Yeah, and it's just I just wonder what were they thinking because no matter how good, like unless Lindros literally was the next Gretzky, even then Gretzky took a few years to get the, and, and had great teammates, right? Yeah. For the Oilers to be that dominant, they had great teammates and you need, you know, I mean, they, they later acquired, uh, LeClaire yeah. and, and Desjardins. And, um, I mean, they already had Brenda Moore, yeah. um, and Renberg, I guess. I don't know when they got Renberg, but, uh, you know they had some players, but it's just it just seems like it's really shooting yourself in the foot to trade eight players for one player plus money. Yeah, yeah. And that was a lot. Fifteen million dollars in nineteen ninety two. I don't know what that is now, but it's a lot of money. Yeah, but remember that if the if the owner was rich enough, there was no salary cap then, so that yeah. didn't happen at all. So that no, I know. I I'm just thinking about it from a like, you know, assets oh, yeah. perspective, right? Like yeah. you're trading so much. And all you're getting back is this thing that if anything goes wrong, like say your player gets concussions, for example. <laughs> yeah, good thing it wasn't immediate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, enough about that. I just wanted to bring the trade up because it's this. It's like, it's just it's got to be one of my favorite. It's possibly my favorite trade in the history of the NHL because it's so crazy. You know what though? The thing is, Philadelphia. I think if Forsberg hadn't ended up being as good as Forsberg, well, I think he was what the sixth or the eighth pick that year. Six, six. Okay, so if Forsberg ends up just being, you know, just a, a standard NHLer, they make out in that trade like bandits still because they get, you know, a Hall of Famer for a bunch of good but not great players. But yeah. Forsberg ended up being just as good. So now it yeah. looks terrible. But fair enough. Yeah. Lindros was li- like as far as much as Crosby or McDavid, an absolute sure thing. Like there is no way this guy's not going to be awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I can see the logic of why they did it, but I think they were there was also a bidding war, right? Because everybody knew he wasn't going to go to Quebec. Yeah, there was, there was, and 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 that's true, and that's something that I I like to forget is that like for sure, I'm sure there were other teams offering batshit crazy things. Oh yeah, I, I think at one point like the they the Rangers thought they actually had a deal for him, like it was a done yeah. deal, and then they're like, nope, we're going with Philly. They're like, what? <laughs> and so. Yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of controversy about it. I can't quite remember exactly how it went down, but I know there were multiple teams like really throwing their hats in the ring for him. So um, an interesting period of NHL history. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as far as I know, he's the only NHL draft pick who's ever done that, like refused to sign with the team that drafted him as a first overall guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely been contract holdouts later in careers, but not immediately. I yeah, don't well, there's been a couple of guys like who didn't sign with the team that drafted them, but yeah. it's like they got drafted third or fourth round and then had a great junior career. And then we're like, well, <laughs> like, well, you can also, I believe that if you don't sign, right, you can, uh, yeah, it's you NCAA can, only, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can you re-enter. Have to, you have to graduate as well. Okay. So it's, if you, okay. if you leave school early, basically to go to the NHL and start making money, uh, you have to sign with the team that drafted you. But if oh, you're okay. willing to wait the full four years and graduate, so let's just say you only start really kicking ass in year three and four, you can wait and then opt out and then you can sign with whoever you want. No, I was before. more referring to the people who uh, who re-enter. Oh, yeah, but that's like um, 
that's sort of an extreme example. And I think you get a compensation pick for it. And I can't remember anybody who was drafted very, very high doing that either. Yeah, it, that is that is true. Yeah, that is definitely true. Okay, so shall we move on? Right, yeah, let's go to Harry Cameron. Harry Cameron, just give me one second here. Loading it up from my telephone. And I believe this is our first guy that we're looking at where we're sort of like, hmm, how did, or no, no, he's, uh, that's the other guy we're going to be doing next time, I think. This is this is the offensive defenseman, right? Yes, yes. I remember reading that a few days ago. So he was, uh, yeah, like there's, we've, as, as we mentioned on previous episodes, there have been a couple guys who are in the hall who haven't had, who've had barely NHL careers or barely any NHL stats who we skipped over. And there's also been some guys who aren't in the hall who might've been, I don't know, maybe eventually if we run long enough, we'll get to them where these guys might've had reasonably interesting careers and could be in the hall. But um, the problem is the information is hard to find and it's easier to talk about guys who played a fair number of NHL games like Cameron did or who, were so good in their particular leagues that you don't have to worry about the fact that you don't know everything about the leagues. Yeah. Um, Cause there's definitely a lot of like, you could have debates about like, why is this particular guy in the hall and this guy not when they had similar like NHA careers, but like you really don't have enough information to make that value judgment. Yeah. Okie doke. So, um, so Cameron, uh, he played in the NHL for six seasons, all quality, from 1917 to 1923. He played in 88 games, which is eighth all-time at his release. He had 15 assists. Oh, sorry, 88 goals, sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm sort of, my eyes are starting to uh, <laughs> just be boggled by all the numbers in front of me. Um, yeah, so he had 88 goals, which was eighth all-time at his release, and 51 assists, which was third for 139 points. Now the math's adding up which was sixth in 128 games, uh, which was fifth, and a 28.6 point share, which was first. When he left the NHL, Cameron was 10th in goals per game, fifth in assists per game, and ninth in points per game. When he left the NHL, Cameron was sixth all-time in offensive point shares and fifth in defensive point shares. His 82-game average uh, would have been 57 goals and 33 assists for 89 points. His three-year peak... 1919 to 1922 would have been a 24 game average of 17 goals and 10 assists for 28 points. So he's over a point a game, um, which is pretty impressive. Um, his playoffs, uh, five goals and four assists for nine points in 11 games. His adjusted would have been 117 goals and 231 assists for 348 points. Uh, his adjusted 82-game average, 75 goals, 148 assists for 223 points, just slightly beating Gretzky's all-time record. <laughs> <laughs> Second all-time in adjusted points per game, if the qualifier set at an absurd 82 games, because the sample size is so small. Um, he was traded twice and loaned once in his prime and waived once, probably for some sort of ridiculous financial situation, because, I don't know. That's what happened back then. Yeah, I need to buy more horses. I'm releasing this player. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, it was, you know, it was the early, the early part of the uh, 20th century. Um, his NHA career from 1912 to 1917, he played six seasons, five were quality, 53 goals as high as 16th all time, 20 assists as high as 11th, for 73 points, which would be which could be as high as 15th 
played 100 games, which is maybe 10th. Um, when the NHA became the NHL, Cameron might have been 10th all-time in goals per game, 5th in assists per game, and 11th in points per game, with a minimum of 82 games played. His 24-game average, 13 goals, 5 assists for 18 points, and he was traded once. In the WCHL, as a forward, uh, from 1923 to 1926, he had a 9-game comeback as well in 1932-33. He played 3 seasons, 2 were quality, not including his comeback. Uh, he had 32 goals, as high as 19th all-time, but unlikely. 20 assists, as high as 13th all-time. 52 points, as high as 16th in 96 games. Cameron may be as high as 13th all-time in goals per game, 10th in assists per game, and 14th in points per game. His 30-game average, 10 goals, 6 assists for 16 points, and he was never traded. And the reason there's all those maybes and as high as is because, frankly, there is no, to, to our knowledge, there is no database of the NHA and WCHL where they list all the players who played and how many goals and points they scored. Yeah. So this is based on basically the top players in every season. And so who knows it's possible, but he was, he may have been, I mean, I think the NHA numbers are likely more reliable than the WCHL, but I don't know. All right. So his accomplishments, he was a top five player by point shares twice in 18, uh, 20, uh, 2018, Jesus in 1918 and 1922 uh, and he was a top five player or sorry a top 10 player five times uh so also 1919 1920 and 1921 he was a top five offensive player four times in 1918 1919 1921 and 1922 and he was a top five defensive player uh three times in 1918 1920 and 1921 and uh top 10 six times so the other three years would be 1919 1922 and 1923 he scored 15 goals four times, and he was the only defenseman to do so when he left the NHL. And he scored 10 goals five times, and he was the only defenseman to do so when he left the NHL. Uh, he, he was top 10 goals four times, and he was top 10 in goals per game once. He set the single-season assist record in the first NHL season, but he was tied with three other people. And then he reset the record on the next season, and that lasted until 1926-1927. He led the league in assists twice, and he was top five three times. He set the single-season record for assists per game, uh, I believe, in the second season of his career. And that held up until 1929-30, at which point the NHL started counting secondary assists, and that's when it was blown out of the water. Um, and he led the league in APG that one year, and then top five twice and top ten three times. He was top five in points once, top ten three times, top five in points per game once, top ten three times. Okay. Um, so, uh, the great teams that Cameron played on, uh, Cameron played most of his career when the Stanley Cup was a Challenge Cup. He was the best skater in that he led the NHL playoffs in assists, setting the record in 1918 on two Stanley Cup champions, the 18 Arenas and the 22 St. Patrick's. He was the best skater by points on one NHL runner-up, the 19 Senators. And uh, that's an unknown role because his team didn't score any goals. <laughs> um, on one NHL runner-up, the 21 St. Patrick's. So uh, he sort of, yeah, I mean, you're just going with best skater because we're not really sure where he was. We gotta assume that he, that he probably he was probably top four, or top two defenseman, but who the hell knows? Yeah, there's no, there's exactly. no information. Yeah, and then don't don't really know his role because his team didn't score. Yeah, one of the runner-ups, and then um, yeah, he's a top four defenseman, 
by points on one National Hockey Association Stanley Cup champion, the 14 Blue Shirts. Um, so he, you know, he he made uh, enough runs at the Cup to consider him as, uh, you know, one of the players of that generation who was on solid teams. But again, there were usually only, what, maybe five to six teams in the entire country that could probably yeah. take a run at the Cup. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say that we don't know enough about the rules back then. You know, Rover was evolving into defense. Yeah. And this is before defensemen didn't score very much, as you can tell by the fact that he was a top goal scorer in the league. But, like, I do think he was one of the premier offensive defensemen of its of the era. Yeah. Um, for the, the very, very beginning of the season. Obviously, you'd have, like... Uh, uh, George Boucher would come along and King Clancy um, shortly thereafter. But um, those guys played when, like, scoring from defensemen, well, they pl- may have played at the beginning of their career at a time when there was still crazy scoring from defensemen, but they, they mostly played at a time when scoring from defensemen went way down. And Cameron didn't, obviously. Cameron played at a time when defensemen still scored. And it's kind of, if you look at it, it's kind of bonkers because, like, you know, he 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 was in the league for what six years, and he was he was eighth all time in goals when yeah. he left. And he's a defenseman. Yeah, it's, well, it's like, the, thing, what? the thing is too that I think maybe now this is just a theory that I have. I have nothing to back this up whatsoever, but I think. Given that I th- I believe he's the second or third one that we've talked about where he started as either a rover or a defenseman, and then at the end of his career finished as a forward. Yeah. It sort of seems to me that when you have the young live legs and you're the best skater on your team, you're the defenseman slash rover. You're the guy who's going to have the puck the most. Yeah. Almost, almost, I guess, the way you would consider a center or a number one defenseman nowadays, like an offensive defenseman, where you're going to be the one who skates it up. You're the one going to be the one who tries to weave through everybody and set things up. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Or just go coast to coast and score because you have a full head of steam and everybody else is kind of hanging back. And maybe you're not that great as skaters compared to you. So yeah, that's uh, sort of that. And given that the fact that it seems like when the guys get older and maybe they're not the greatest skater on the team anymore. And some young guy has fresher legs. They sort of convert to forward where, yeah, I still know how to score goals, but I don't want to do all that skating anymore. Well, I don't, I don't know the full, I don't know the full details of what happened, but basically when he went to the WCGL, they like converted him to a forward and presumably defenseman and just said, well, you can play forward. Yeah. But I, my other thought was he was already, uh, um, he was, what was he? He was 33. Yeah. So I think I was agreeing with you and thinking maybe he just didn't have the, uh, mobility anymore to do it. And they just were like, "Well, listen, you're not, you're not playing back there anymore." Because his, uh, I don't know, his his last season in the NHL was, you know, not the greatest for compared to his previous years. You know, he was he was under a point he was at like I don't know like point uh, seven points per game, which sounds like decent in this era but at the time people the stars scored over a point per game all the time and even the defensemen and so you know i guess he was getting older and so they decided to uh you know uh, switch him 
as you were saying, and maybe it was just the the person who was the star defenseman was had had the the youthful legs, and after a certain point, you sort of got you know promoted upstairs, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of the only way I can think of it. it. Think of the fact that there's so many high scoring defensemen in the early days of well in the NHA and then the early days of the NHL when it finally switches into being that league. It's like yeah, some of the defensemen have really high totals, and it's like they must just be the best skater on the team. So they get the most chances and they're sort of the guy who drives the play. And it kind of goes in with that theory of, you know, the Rover had been an early, a, a big part of early hockey. And so maybe that mentality of whoever's our best skater has to have the puck all the time. Maybe that's just yeah. sort of the way hockey operated back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is also notable that like, you know, they, he, um, we mentioned, uh, you mentioned he had that uh, comeback in 1932. He was 42. And he'd been playing in the minor in the uh, in the predecessor of the AHL for years, and and putting up you know not amazing numbers but not terrible numbers either. And I don't know like who took a flyer on him. The WCHL was uh, had had downgraded as a league by then, I believe. So, yeah. um, but it uh, I don't know it's 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 always fascinating when you, you see some of these star players from back then, a number of them played a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. And some of that is just because the, the seasons were not very long. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know, they played, uh, he played uh, pro hockey for whether minor or major for, you know, over 20 years. On the other hand, he only managed to play in a few hundred games yeah. because the seasons were so short, but it still blows my mind how long some of these guys played. Oh, yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I guess you have to sort of think of it back then where it's like, what job were you going to find that was going to pay you more money than being a professional hockey player? Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, like it was probably to make enough money to put food on the table. It was either, well, I can keep playing hockey in this lesser league or I can go work in the mill and maybe lose a few fingers. I think I'll keep playing hockey. Um, maybe that was just it, you know, it was like maybe not as glamorous a life as being in the top league, but like it was still a pretty good living compared to the normal salary of an everyday guy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, it it makes sense. I mean, and some of it, I think, um, also is, is probably the competitiveness. You just don't want to stop. And like, how else do you explain why these guys, some of them, I mean, I guess it was a different era and the prestige factor maybe wasn't quite as drastic, but some of these guys, you know, Lalonde did the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Newsy Lalonde, who we talked about before, and I think maybe Petra did too, where they played in like in in the minor pro leagues for years afterwards. Yeah. And you're like, this is interesting. Yeah, they probably <laughs> I know they were getting. They probably had some sort of like sweet side deals worked out too. You know, like oh, if I uh, if I come and sit and eat dinner in the window of your restaurant, I'll get. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, okay. They must have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you have to they must it, right? have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I can't see any reason to object to Harry Cameron being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and neither can I, because we just don't. We just have honestly no idea. And his stats do seem to indicate that he was quite a good player for uh, the different incarnations of leagues uh, that were professional back in those days. And, you know, he he won some cups and he played for some cups and seemed like and he, he was pretty highly regarded. So. And he dominated offensively for yeah. someone, as far as we know, playing, you know, defense. I mean, yeah. 
His offensive numbers are relatively bonkers. Yeah, and I mean, his numbers are still good no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess we're both agreed he belongs. Yeah, he belongs because we honestly have no reason to object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I think that's it for us for this episode. And we haven't figured out who's going to be next time. So we will do that, and then we'll have another one for you. Uh, so do you have any, you have nothing to plug, I assume? I do not. Okay, okay. Well, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care.